Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast. If you would like to see full, unedited video recordings of our podcast, ask listener questions, or be thanked by name on each episode, please support the show by subscribing at patreon.com backslash Southern Bramble. You're listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of crooked ways. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. And I'm Austin, Bainx Bramble on Instagram. Marshall, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's been um, it's been a busy week. We had a, the full moon this week. Um, so I had a few projects going on, but I also uh, I went ahead and got my monkeypox vaccine last weekend. My arm is a little sore. I'm getting like a little red bump there, which is very, uh, very, very common as a outcome of getting the shot. Um, for people listening, uh, if you're if you're interested, uh, it's important to know a few facts about monkeypox. This show obviously is not a medical show whatsoever, so we don't normally bring these things up, but as to queer people. Unfortunately, we have all seen the news. We've all seen the way the media and even some reputable health authorities have been uh, using really inappropriate language surrounding this. Um, We've all seen that the outbreak not started with, but really kind of centered a lot around uh, men who have sex with men or you know, gay men in general. One of the things that's important to recognize when reading literature and reading uh, media headlines right now is it's important to recognize that predominantly affecting men who have sex with men does not mean it is spread through having sex at all. That doesn't mean that. It can. Right. But you know, you can also spread COVID while having sex. You can spread chickenpox while having sex. You can spread a cold. You can spread the flu. You can spread lots of things when you are on top of each other. The same way you might be close at a dance club, the same way you might be close doing someone's hair, the same way you might be close waiting in a crowded area. When you touch people's skin that are under this infection, you can transfer it. It is that simple. And the homophobia that I have seen explode around this topic has literally made its way into our health protocols. The only reason I was able to get the vaccine a week ago was because I am gay. So just to throw a little medical information out there that you should know, the monkeypox vaccine is the smallpox vaccine. It was invented in 1795. So if you're afraid of new uh, medical discoveries, this is not one of them. You don't have to be afraid. Your parents most likely got it. Your grandparents most likely got it. Your great-grandparents most likely got it. And your great-great-great-grandparents most likely got it. It is almost 100% safe. And the only reason they stopped administering it about, I'm going to say like 1977, about a little over 40 years ago was because America or in the US, we had eradicated smallpox. So there was no need to continue it in our regular uh, vaccination lists. Uh, so if you are interested, I know a lot of states are starting to put out information where you can contact your local health authority and you can register online. I know the city that I live in is now officially opening it to people who would like to self-register. Um, if you are in a vulnerable, pop vulnerable population or you find yourself in the position that you are touching people regularly, I would recommend it. Um, there's very little side effects and I promise you, 
Uh, if you're wondering about the effects of what it's like getting monkeypox, I have multiple friends that have had it now. Um, if you're wanting to know more about the history of smallpox, little known fact, well, actually this should be a well-known fact, Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth I had smallpox. She was one of the few people who survived it in her time as it killed 60% of people that contracted it. The reason why she was known later in life for wearing that lead-based white makeup was to cover up the full face of smallpox scars. So if you weren't afraid of COVID because your immunity, good for you. You're not immune to monkeypox. You will get scars. If it gets in your eyes, you can go blind. If it gets in your throat and esophagus, you can have a, a gastrointestinal problems for the rest of your life. I'm not telling you what to do with your body. I'm just telling you protect yourself however you feel is best for your lifestyle. There are lots of options. I know what option I made. And remember, public health is also includes um, doing the best you can to mitigate diseases which are contractable through proximity of other people. Yeah. Educate yourself, protect yourself, protect those around you. Um, I know a lot of people were scared of COVID because of the death rate. And a lot of other people said, um, I'm not afraid of dying. I'll tell you right now, there are things worse than death. Um, I'm not saying that monkeypox is that. I'm just saying we've got to stop putting these absolutes on things. Um, I'm not here trying to virtue signal. I'm just telling everyone listening as a gay man what it feels like watching a viral outbreak and our government's response and the public's response to it, it is far too familiar. And that's all I'm gonna say, I'm done. Soapbox de-escalated. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, How are uh, you? So I'm, I'm good, thank you. I, I went to um, South Dakota this past week um, for some secret projects I'm working on. I have some other places I'm traveling and journeying to over the next couple of months um, for a secret project um, that I'll disclose later. I am working on uh, a workshop. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm working on a project that, uh, funny enough, is on a very similar subject to what we're discussing today, which is uh, execrations and or curses and um, uh, mostly just curses and and ba baleful magic, anyways. Baneful magic. We're going to be talking about curses today yes. and, and uh, why people use them and also maybe uh, some tips on, on where they may be coming from and how to prevent them, mm -hmm. uh, repel them, mm -hmm. maybe send them back, uh, maybe send them back a little stronger mm -hmm. than they were sent to you, um, maybe. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. Let's break into it. Let's do it. So, okay. So this is really interesting. And this is something that I, I brought up yesterday because I, I've heard this discussion before and I've seen a lot of, of, of discussion around the defining the difference between jinxes, hexes, and curses. Before I brought that up, had you ever like thought about breaking down the difference between them before? Yeah. I mean, um, I know a lot of people do. Like I've seen them broken down before. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's not actually a thing. 
Um, is and this something I mean we that, just kind of made up as a, as a community? Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think that that's wrong. No, like, have sure. fun if, if you want, if you want to have like some distinctions, because I definitely don't think that all curses are the same. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's definitely a difference between laying somebody's ass out in the ground versus, um, you know, maybe just making them have like a shitty day. Right. Uh, and 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 so I think that kind of is where where these distinctions come in. But actually, some of the words have some very fascinating etymology. Um, they have some very interesting meanings. And so, Marshall, do you have a way that you break some of these down into different categories? Or yeah. we should talk about the categories. You and know, you know, jinx, hex. yeah, yeah. Well, let's bring up these three these three supposed categories. We'll talk about how they could be inferred. Um, and again, if this doesn't. If, if this is not of your opinion as a listener, you do not have to go by this. This is just kind of talking about what the collective has assigned to these. So first you have a jinx. It's very small, uh, short-lived. It's an inconvenience. It burns out. So, you know, say you hit every red light. You end up being late for work. Your client shows up late. You're, you spill your coffee. You grab the full fat mayo when you really wanted that um, uh, miracle whip. I don't know. Those little tiny things that sort of like go out throughout the day and they wear off. They're they're small. Nothing, no harm is really truly made here. Um, I don't know. I think that's just one of those things that are small. It's an inconvenience, truly. That's how I and a lot of people I think have have kind of defined jinx. and the interesting thing about um, jinx is, again, kind of going with these, and we'll, we'll look at the word hex too, I'm sure here in a minute. Oh, yeah. Um, but the, the way that we perceive jinx is usually, and I even kind of think of it this way, is this very like irritating kind of- um, Like a mosquito, like a mosquito. Yeah, it's very bothersome. Yeah. Um, um, but in reality, it, it actually comes from uh, a word, um, which is so funny that you can like look on Google and, and you know how you can see um, the usage like, of a word and like how popular it gets over time. It's actually mm-hmm. more popular now than it has been ever. Really? Yes, which I find very interesting. But um, so the word comes perhaps from a variation of the word uh, rinneck or what, uh, like a, a wren neck, which is a type of bird, right? Okay. Which, uh, when I say, when I see it, the way that it's spelled, it's spelled W-Y-R-N, um, uh, like like to ring a neck. Yeah. Um, it also makes me think of the word, like the, the pronunciation of like a, 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 a yinek, you know, like a yinek or something like that, which may be kind of how the word devolved. I don't know if that's actually true. I'm not a linguist, but um. How do we get jinx from, what was it? Rin neck. Rin neck. So it's a type of bird. And the reason that they think that perhaps this has developed from the name of this bird Mm -hmm. is because this bird was commonly used in witchcraft (gasps) to, um, you know, slaughter it, or um, perhaps witches may have turned into this bird. So obviously this is a bird of ill omen, similar to like seeing a vulture, a crow, a corvid, um, uh, things like that. So it, they're it's a so very, cute. I haven't actually seen what one looks like. Oh my god, they're like these tiny, tiny little birds. These little, 
little puffins. Oh, really? That's so cute. Oh, they are cute. They are cute. Yes. Yeah, but I also oh, can see- would slaughter a little one of those? You know what? They would make a good jinx. Yeah, but I also- <laughs> but it's You know so what, small. actually? It's so small and so cute. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, in, in The Crucible, when she says, Goody Proctor sent the devil in the shape of a little yellow bird. Yes. Um, it reminds me of like certain- birds especially not even black ones sometimes but these things that are perceived as very brightly colored um obviously like poisonous animals Mm -hmm. um or things that are very cutesy looking um can also be disguised as like witches so you know kind of like not taking things so um be very careful of things that look very cute um or things that look really good also like accepting gifts from people like um oh, here's a present. Thanks. This is really wonderful. It's also like a secretly a cursed object. Um, You hear that, ladies and gentlemen, beware of me because I am super cute and you mm -hmm. better watch out. I've had somebody send me a cursed object before. (gasps) Really? What was it? Um, You know, I, I, they may, um, still, they may still listen to this podcast. So I don't, you know what? We'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. Yes. That might okay. be for patrons only. Let's get into hexes. Yes. So, okay, so this what is- What really do a- you consider a hex? Or go ahead, I'm sorry. I know, that's okay. That's okay. I, I'm just going with what I have noticed has been the conversation and I'm kind of reiterating it. So either I am continuously spreading misinformation or I'm just kind of continuing the conversation. So it's, it's the foundation is laid, but um, under the concept of a hex, it's a little bit more medium. It's not quite lifelong. It can be somewhat simply removed. It's one of those things that's a little bit more than an inconvenience. It may cause possible long-term harm, but it's really not meant to be something that is just absolutely decimating. But from my understanding, the word hex in itself goes back to German, doesn't it? And that actually just goes back to the word that meant witch or hexen, hexen, is it hexencraft or hexencraft? Hexen. Um, yes. Witch. It, it means witch. It can also mean spell. Yeah. Um, and, and that's saying spell of any kind. And mm-hmm. then you also have things called hexenmeisters or hexenmasters. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, and there's and an these... old movie, isn't there? Perhaps. I think it's on movies. No. Oh, yes. No, there's an old movie. It's like from the 1920s. It was silent and you can get it on. You can watch it or stream it on HBO Max. Um, But it's it's really it's the first black and it's the first black and white or witch movie I believe ever made called Hexen. And it's. Yes. Yes. Hexen. I know what you're talking about. Yes. And um, it was really fascinating because they have all these old reenactments um, of what. I would think it was made in Germany and and what and what they believed witches were doing. That's what I find fascinating about the word like jinx, hex, curse is because while curse is predominantly, I believe, an English word, hex was basically a German word. And then jinx was apparently come who possibly knows? coming, <laughs> who knows, from a from a, a type of bird that was slaughtered to then like harm someone. So it's interesting that we now have a conversation where we have ranked these type of baleful or baneful magics when they actually had no history of of severity or ranking right and i think that's also because like witchcraft in itself Mm -hmm. has never been viewed as a good thing right Mm -hmm. so if you're doing witchcraft yeah you're you're seeking 
harm to to somebody or the community right yeah. and so witchcraft is it's bad on all fronts it's illegal on all fronts at certain periods of time mm-hmm. um and and therefore it doesn't matter whether um you made somebody's uh butter go bad mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you made someone drop dead in the eyes of the law uh, or in the eyes of God, perhaps it's both uh, equally bad, right? I can but see more, that. More bad that like, butter is almost worse than death. I've never had bad butter. No, me neither. I don't I've never, think I've never died bad. either. So right, uh, and uh, let's not start now. And <laughs> no plans. Um, but yeah, hexes, hexenmeister, uh, witch masters. So mm-hmm. those who uh, are like cunning folk, essentially those who are responsible for like unbewitching people, mm-hmm. um, uh, taking curses off, maybe also sometimes putting curses on. Um, maybe they're both witches and and cunning folk at the same time. Yeah. Maybe they're both the hexen and the hexenmeister. Um, but yeah, every time I hear the word hexenmeister, I think of... Um, like parade leaders with big pompadour hats and little tight little red suits with the the epaulets and they're like um leading a parade of of witches and i'm thinking like you know hats pointy hats and mm-hmm. and cloaks and green noses and things like that that's what i always think of when i hear the word hexenmeister well of course that makes perfect sense absolutely let's talk about curses <laughs> yes <laughs> okay so the last stop on this little tour, uh, curses, they can be lifelong, they can be generational, they are large scale, disastrous, and can even include death. Um, which is funny, because I think we should actually discuss, I don't know if we actually wrote this down there, death curses, we didn't do that. Let's do that later on in our favorite curses, because I, I have an opinion about that. And I asked about it recently on Twitter, and I'm curious what yours are too. Okay. Okay. Do you have any commentary about curses and the um, definition? Um, no, I, I think that curses, I, I think we mostly get this like, I don't know where the separation of like how we got to the the jinx hex curse. I'm going to go with kind of thing. I think it was before that. Before I, Tumblr? I, I think so because even in like like Harry Potter and stuff, oh. there's like levels of like severity. Yeah, you have things like like um, stinging jinxes, right? Yeah, and you have like um, basically a curse is just a, in in Harry Potter. I'm saying um, mm-hmm. is uh, wow. I think this is the first time we've ever brought that up. Um, forgive me, everybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, media but, really informs our craft in a lot of ways. It does. It does. And and I do remember when I was a kid. Yes, I was a, a Harry Potter kid. I did grow up in that that era. There was like basically a curse is just like a very severe spell. Mm-hmm. it's not always bad it kind of is always bad but also like there's there's like there's it's just a severeness to it of of, of volatileness to it um and i i don't think that that's necessarily a bad way to look at a curse but yeah mm-hmm. they um I, I don't know where that that distinction and that separation comes from i guess the jinx does kind of sound like like a bug that you just want to swat at yeah and and a hex sounds like something more severe 
And, and I think a lot of times when it comes down to it, the etymology of language and how it evolves, especially within the groups of people that are using it, because I guarantee you the people who are making movies and writing books and, and works of fiction are not really considering how it's affecting the actual community of, of practitioners who are crafting. So either way, the same way that folklore informed the practice of many people years ago, modern media is going to inspire bits of our practice today. Um, I think we're going to see that in the evolution of, of witchcraft, no matter where we look. I don't think that um, influence, uh, the influence of media, I think the influence of media is um, not only integral, and it's going to happen regardless mm -hmm. of whether people want it to or not. I think it's actually really uh, it can be very beneficial at times. Oh, it can also yeah. lead to a lot of, of of really damaging things too. Sure, but I think it also has like what it what is folklore? It's not something that's locked inside amber. It's not mm -hmm. a, a piece of frozen time. It's not a, like a frozen piece of history. It's it's adaptable. It changes, and I think um, you know stories, myths uh what what are superhero movies i mean they're they're really like modern myths about about people just like uh myths from ancient greece are very much like uh they're very different than the actual religious practice right yes right. we have a religious practice it's very different than myth um but they both kind of inform each other Mm -hmm. And and myth is uh, more so like a superhero movie that's being told over and over again. I even saw, I can't remember where I saw it, it was a while ago, and it was someone said it was a correspondence for a fig being a cursed fruit, specifically because it goes back to the Bible where Jesus cursed a fig tree for not producing fruit. So then you could take that inspiration and then you could take a fig fruit and use it in a, in a type of cursing spell. And I was just like, I never would have thought of that most of the time because I don't use a lot of biblical references. But I mean, that's just me personally. Someone's craft can be inspired by that story. Whether you actually believe in the entirety of the book that it came from, it can be inspired by it. And I think that's actually a beautiful thing. Well, I think that's the entire basis of what like a historiola is, right? Yeah. Where like, um, narrative charms yeah uh, a, a burn spell or a, a burn three, charm. three angels came from the east right yeah. uh two brought fire one brought frost or uh or i'm sorry two brought frost one brought fire out with fire in with frost uh and i think that's clearly that that goes way back yeah. we we start seeing like it could be three virgins three maidens and then three it kings. starts getting and then it starts getting developed into uh three angels mm -hmm. three three kings exactly um you know so there's a lot of it, they, it has room to breathe and develop and grow and i think that's interesting and, and i think that also can apply to curses so speaking of why would you use curses marshall well why don't we start with a little bit of history and then we kind of like kind of get into like modern day reasons why and, how, and mm -hmm. honestly the history and modern day reasons are not much different at all yeah. um but we, we we know historically that curses existed or at least the belief in curses existed we, we know that without a doubt that is documented and what's interesting is is many times especially when you get more into the closer to modern history in the last few hundred years we have documentations and multiple practices across the world that include cursing and most of the time most of the time 
they come from the downtrodden. They come from the oppressed. They come from an, a, a, a minority group who is being either used, abused, taken advantage of, and then used against their oppressors. When I was brought up in the 90s and was introduced to Wicca, um, the concept of the threefold law came originally from Gerald Gardner's book, High Magic's Aid. It was a, a horrible fiction novel. And even then at the time, it didn't even suggest that the threefold law as we understand it now suggested in the book, it was literally just almost like a, a, a side note of, uh, you know, do good and, and good things will come back to you threefold. It was, it was a, it was a small memo almost thrown into a story and it got really overblown many years later, especially in the seventies leading up to um, the satanic panic, uh, it was really held on. And we talked about this in the Satanic Panic episode, I believe, how it was really held on to, especially in the 80s and 90s, because we had to be separated from, from groups or occult-themed ideas that were surrounding sacrifice and harm and, and all the bad things that the Satanic Panic brought up in the 80s. So it's important to recognize that if you go by and live by the threefold law, I think you should know where it comes from. I'm not telling you to believe in it or not, but I do want you to ask yourself if every good thing you have done has returned to you three times, if every bad thing you have done has returned to you three times, and just ask yourself if that makes sense to you. I mean, and we also, uh, we don't need to get into this complete idea of like, good and bad this is not a philosophy class mm -hmm. but like also understanding that like good and bad good and evil um ethics and morality are highly culturally informed yeah um and they're informed a lot by uh a lot of influences home life religion culture uh subculture uh economics class status race things like that. So ideas of like what is good and bad is not, it's not a universal moralistic concept. It does not equate to all. It is not a one size fits all thing. The concept of, I, I think personally for me, when you start to put ideas on what is good and what is evil, you're creating a very, um, poorly formed cardboard box that is easily is ready to be have poked a uh, holes poked in it and mm -hmm. is very easy to to kick around and um yeah what would you uh, put in that box like what makes baneful magic what can we tell our listeners or what do you believe is baneful magic well i think um things that are intended to to harm to injure to um destroy what about manipulate I think magic in itself is manipulative. Um, you know, I, I think that's very, um, there's an anthropo uh, anthropological discussion on like a petition is mm -hmm. asking for a favor, yeah. right? And when you petition a deity or you petition a saint, magic is a sense of coercion. You're coercing something to do something for you. Uh -huh. you're, you're the one who's kind of pulling the strings. And maybe not everybody will like that idea of like, oh, uh, you know, I'm not manipulating anything. I'm not manipulative because I think we have this idea that manipulation has a negative, negative content right um 
But I, I think that magic is coercive. And I think that's okay for a witch to be coercive. I think it's okay to, you know, there's always going to be like harm and damage. If you do a job spell or whatever and you get the job, well, somebody else didn't get the job and maybe they needed that job, but you mm -hmm. got it because you did the magic for it, right? And maybe that sucks. Maybe that makes you want to think twice about what you're doing. I don't know. Again, I'm not here to teach you uh, my own moral compass, but the the thing is, is that magic is is set up to pull strings and to to coerce things in your favor, right? And and so I think um, baleful magic. Uh, I, I think magic in itself kind of has a little bit of um, harm to it mm -hmm. in in any way, right? Um, there's always a sense of of um, you know, if you're doing something for, for sickness, something still has to die, uh, you know, bacteria, viruses, um, things are still dying in that process. And, mm -hmm. and you, you yourself are in the hand of killing. So I don't know, it gets really complicated. This is a very, I didn't think this episode was going to be so um, philosophical. Right? Yeah. Well, what yeah. about, what about bindings? Are bindings baleful magic? Are you, because again, it's more manipulation. You're right. reaching out, you're taking someone's own free will, and you are wrapping a cord around it. And whether you do that physically or, or, or metaphysically, you are taking control away from them. Is that baneful in your eyes? Right. I think um, one of the best pieces of advice that I ever had from uh, a teacher of mine a really long time ago, uh, back, this was before Banex Bramble, this is still when I was a teenager. The person had said, you know, even uh, doctors harm to heal people. You know, you still have to cut mm -hmm. uh, to get to a tumor, to remove it. I think bindings, uh, I don't know. I think this is going to go back to morals and ethics. Yeah. Do you think that restricting somebody's quote unquote free will, whatever that means, is that manipulative? Uh, yes, perhaps, but also... Do you, as the magical practitioner, or why why are you doing it? Are you doing it to stop somebody from hurting somebody, from hurting yourself? Is it is it because you think it's fun or funny? Maybe I don't know. Again, I'm not here to tell you how to live or or believe or whatever. So um, I I think it can be absolutely. Uh, I remember doing magic like that in in my teenage years for a friend to to stop uh, harming themselves, mm -hmm. and um, you know it it was a it was a very beneficial piece of magic that that I did, and it was very formative to my beliefs today but does does that mean um that I took a sense of, of free will away I guess um I also don't know like that term idea free will you know I don't know what well, about you, you? Well, no I, I think that's actually I asked the question because I think a lot of people will do this thing especially when they're new as a practitioner will get into this and be like well I'm not doing any baneful magic I'm not doing any evil spells like I'm not going to hurt anyone like that's not my goal like I only do love and light and I think that's a beautiful idea but I think that's an unexamined opinion and the reason I ask those questions are and honestly what reason we're having this episode is because we should examine these questions we should actually look at it is a love spell baneful if you're forcing someone to love you against their will is a binding baneful is sending back 
negative work sent your way baneful? Are you just as guilty because you didn't accept it? Is defense equal to? These are questions that I don't think we can actually answer on this podcast. You're going to have to answer them for yourself because I guarantee you defending yourself away from magic is not considered baneful, literally by law. So I think that's something you should consider when entering this and asking yourself, what is my ethical code? What am I okay with doing? What am I okay with living with after watching the effects of what I have put in place? And one of the biggest things to remember when you're considering baneful magic, depending on whether that's a binding or whether that's a jinx, a hex, or a curse, can you be responsible for what you've done. Can you, I mean, you don't have to like go around and be like, yes, officer, I cursed her. That's why she stepped in front of that bus. Like, that's not the responsibility I'm talking about. I'm just saying that I think a lot of people and I, okay. I think it's spicy. This is a little spicy, but I do think, especially because I am in a lot of these online communities and I see people who love to revel in the power that they create in a persona they put on social media. But when it comes down to it, they don't then in turn do the work because they don't actually believe in it. And, and, And for people who may not understand what I just said, I think there are a lot of times that we- I get, I get what you're saying. You understand, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. Um, I, okay, so earlier this month, I did a poll and I asked, do you believe in death curses? And it was interesting because that was a very ambiguous question. Not do you do them? Would you do them? Do you believe they work? Do you believe in death curses? And I got a wide range of responses. And ultimately it kind of came down in my, this is my opinion, I think some, based off of the responses, I think some people said no because they don't believe they actually work. And if you don't believe the death curses work, what curses do you believe work? If you don't believe curses work, what good magic do you believe work? What magic do you believe in if you don't believe in death curses? That's, that may seem a little extreme, but in my opinion, I think it really kind of hit the nail on the head to, to what we see on social media versus what actually is happening in real life. No, I, I think that you actually bring up a really good point because, yes, we're discussing. I feel like, yes, we're talking about curses on the whole, but I think this is actually getting into something that I hope in in the classes and workshops do, like my my purpose one of the first things that i go into regardless of what the the class is is that we're trying to assess worldviews yeah so defining what a worldview is now i have my own idea of what my worldview is you're gonna have yours right and and that is actually very impactful to our witchcraft right this is this is getting into the 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 nitty-gritty witchcraft of it all right um how far does folklore go how far does myth go how far does does magic go is it just this this smoke screen this idea this uh illusionary practice and if that is your worldview then again i'm not here to tell you otherwise um but you know for for me um it's uh, you know magic i don't just believe in magic i know it exists i know it works i've seen it happen i saw it happen last night like i I literally have an invisibility charm to keep 
cops away because of some issues with my car and there was literally a cop car that was like pulled off the side of the road and was waiting for me to drive past them which you can see what's wrong with my car if you if I drive in front of you and um it's like a taillight thing right and and you know what this cop did he turned right around and I know it was my uh this this charm that I have because I've had it in there for probably like two years now. And my point being is that I know magic works. I absolutely believe in, uh, not believe, I know they that curses happen. I know magic happens. I absolutely believe in, uh, or not believe, I've seen, I've interacted with spirits, um, with, you know, creatures from folklore and myth and idea. Um, maybe not in quite such a like cryptid physical uh sasquatch sense right but but maybe also a little bit of that mm -hmm. and so i think that at the end of the day what we're we're getting into and i think the point of all of what i'm trying to say that has nothing to do with curses actually has everything to do with the curse uh, or with a curse at all is because what we're doing is we're establishing like where do your what do, what is your worldview and have you actually inspected that? Have we taken a deep look at within ourselves? Because when we're not assessing worldviews, when we're not pushing our idea of what um, worldview, ethic, moral code, religious structure, belief system, then how does magic even work in your life? Or are, are, are we just consuming um, magic material, right? Books, movies, TV, podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, and then regurgitating that into our own practice. Is that necessarily a bad thing? No. But does that mean that you have then thought for yourself in your own ideas of what these things believe in mm -hmm. or, or what you believe in? I, I would argue no. I was listening to a podcast. Uh, uh, what was it? The Black Chair, which I love. It used to be- I love- Love Black Chair. Uh, it used, used to be the guiding light. And- um, there was an episode where they were interviewing, I'm so, I'm so dumb, I didn't write this down, but they were interviewing the author of the book, The Witch's Ointment. And in this book, she talks about the history, they talk about the history of poisoners and how originally poisons as they were used were not, they weren't really part of witchcraft. Witchcraft was eventually assigned to poisoners because a lot of people who were working with as poisoners with plants would understand how to use them as medicines and how to use them as deadly assassinations. And they, they gained as sort of a reputation as being someone who say a battered wife could go to their poisoner, get a small amount of poison and give it to their husband and literally kill them. They weren't original poisoners were not magicians. They weren't witches. They weren't practitioners. They were, they were poisoners. They understood the poisons of these plants and it was originally thrust upon these poisoners, the idea, especially during the process of persecution, persecuting witches, it was much easier to, to go after people who either identified or had the knowledge of poisonings. If you can't really prove they killed anyone, but I can prove they're using it for witchcraft. And it started to kind of grow and the word poisoner and, and witch eventually became synonymous. And we even see that in some of the etymology of the Bible where the word witch was originally poisoner um, in certain areas. And I find that absolutely fascinating, especially when we know about the history of the witch's ointment.
Yeah, than a fikiam or a, a pharmacologist. Yeah. Um, pharmacon actually meaning translating a poison, but it also translates to which at the same time, right? And and that's because they do line up, you know, um, it makes me think of like amulets to protect against poison, mm -hmm. like um, sh uh, megalodon teeth, shark's teeth uh, were believed to be uh, dragon's teeth that had fallen out of the sky um, or had been washed up from the sea because hydras or, or uh, sea, sea serpents were, were also dragons and also transmuters of poison, right? So they couldn't be poisoned. Mm -hmm. um, and then toad rings and, and things like that, where it's believed that uh, a tumor from the toad is, is taken from the brain and, and put into a, a piece of jewelry. I have one of those. Yes, they're they're really fascinating. They're actually fossilized teeth from a fish. Um, really? I yes. did not know that. Um Poisoner's Apothecary has them in their in their shop, I believe. Yes, yes. Uh Kobe gets them often. And but uh they're believed that to, you know, transmute poison. Uh, mm -hmm. and also bizores, uh uh, which are, are a type of stone found in the kidney or the liver of a of a goat, um, and why goats, right? Because because Saturn is the transmuter of poison, and Saturn rules over over goats. And we do so, see that in Harry Potter. We do see that. And yes, <laughs> there are bizarres in, in in Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, these things, these ideas. I think uh, I, now I've gotten off track. And now I have to look at the brief because I've forgotten where we're at now. Well, I think I think we're down to the fun part of the episode where we're going to discuss <gasps> favorite curses. Do you have a favorite curse, Marshall? Um, I have one that I saw online and it was one that Mara Starling shared. And it was my it's probably one of my absolute favorites because I really honestly want to do that to someone personally yes. in public. Um, and it was a, an old Welsh curse. And, and, and if this is not quite right, I'm blaming Mara, uh, where you would expose your breasts and shout obscenities and curses at the person that it was your target. So you would like just whip out your tits and just in, in the middle of public and just scream all sorts of, of I curse you with this and, and, and obscenities and just like wave your breasts at them. And I just love this idea. I think, I think it's so obscene. It's so uh, blasphemous. I love it. My favorite, I believe, um, I could be wrong, but I believe it comes from the Schwarzkunstbacher or the, the Black Book. Um, it just means Black Book, but it is a uh, translation from Dr. Thomas K. Johnson, and it is the Schwarzkunstbacher, a compendium of the Swedish Black art book tradition. Um, and it is one of my favorite uh, curses is uh farting curses or or shitting curses where you yes where you take like the intestines of of an animal and you tie it up and it basically becomes like a magical whoopee cushion and um when a witch sits down in church she'll fart um <laughs> and i just find that so funny or when you um there's like spells, of course, or curses to cause like dysentery, which is awful, but like um, you're literally causing somebody to shit to death. Um, and I mean, just what an awful way to go. But also, yeah, what what a more hilariously funny, um, awful, but also so on the nose of like 
can a curse also be funny? Can witchcraft also be funny? I think we take ourselves so very seriously sometimes because it is serious. No, it is. Absolutely. But also... I, I'm just imagining all, all the little imps and all the little devils who are helping you with these curses, just laughing their ass off as, as somebody farts and shits himself to death. <laughs> you know, I want to bring up something that I think is, it may seem a little controversial, but you know, we thrive on controversy just a little mm-hmm. bit, especially when it's not surrounding us. Um, <laughs> drama queers, that uh, comes with a hashtag. I've seen a lot of discussion about the idea about whether or not we as individuals have the power to pol- to hex or curse political figures. And I've seen a lot of people with different opinions and, and I respect everyone's opinion. And I, and I recognize that I'm not just right because I want to be, but I do believe we have that power. And I think from the things you have discussed in the past, that is something you believe as well. And I feel like we have a history that proves that has existed through time and how magicians, sorcerers, practitioners have been aiding um, the public sector and in government for for centuries. Um, They even had a whole Disney movie about it. So I think it's really interesting to now look at what is going on an FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago, um, a, a former government employee who is now being charged with possible international espionage. I mean, I'm not saying that this is a result of hexes or curses, but I am saying that I know thousands of people were sending, if not ill wishes, direct curses at him over the past year, if not two years. So, I'm just saying here and now that I do believe in hexing politicians. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to make a meme of that, <laughs> of that uh, cowardly lion in the middle of the dark forest. You know, he's like, I do believe in spooks. I do believe in spooks. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do believe in spooks. And I'm going to make one that says, I do believe in hexing politicians. I do believe in hexing politicians. I do, I do, I do believe in hexing politicians because I'm not saying it's caused by it, but I'm not saying it didn't hurt. Well, that's also the thing too, is like, how does, how does uh, something manifest itself? Um, Most of the time, magical things manifest in completely mundane ways. Right. I I think too, like, that's a lot of the ways that we'll, we'll see, um, and I I know we'll get into this in a minute, but like how we perceive like curses from spirits, right? Yeah. When, when packs are not made or packs are, are, not fulfilled promises are broken um things like that right like i i work with a particular spirit that i know if they don't get fed i know what happens yeah and um i've witnessed it and i don't it's not fun it's not a fun time at all they're they're a hunger spirit and so if they're not getting fed they eat on other things um and usually it's my finances it's not fun it's not a fun time. Um, I have a similar monthly devotional that I do every single month. And I I have a small window that I have to do it in. And, and I luckily have not missed it. Um, but I mean, see, perfectly honest, that is, that's pretty much a traditional familiar pact. I mean, that's, that's nothing out of the norm. Absolutely. I think um, I, I also have similar obligations that you do especially on the full on the full moon and yeah um which is kind of a a a day for me to 
if nothing else, if I'm not kicking up trouble, that's kind of the day that everybody gets gets fed anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I've never missed that, thank God. Because um, I don't know what would happen and I don't want to know. What I don't want to know. Yeah. Uh, it's For me, it feels like, specifically with, the, I, I'm not working with a lot of volatile familiars here, but I, I do know that if I missed it, I feel like the um, connection would probably start to break down the, the willingness to feel like this is a synonymous connection. I offer, I make, I make daily offerings and a monthly major one. And then in return, when I ask for help with, for this or for that, um, I've already put in the work for my familiars to turn around and work back with me. If I go through the process of being like, you know what, I'm not going to do this devotional for several weeks. No, you know what? I'm not going to do that offering um, this month. I don't know if, if like actual like negative things will start happening, but I would expect my work to stop working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, because um I think we we have, uh, and I know I've went on this tangent before. Like like yes, witchcraft is incredibly powering, empowering. Uh, witchcraft it has a lot to do with liberation, but also like the things that we initiate under still have an agenda. They mm-hmm. still have uh, wants and needs and desires, and expect us to fulfill those wants and needs and desires in in our life uh, as well, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, it's not all, I don't help people that I don't know just because they asked me to. You might be able to bribe me a little bit, though, for, you know, pizza or something. Right. Or paying for a spell. I mean, that's just a full-on business. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, uh, so another a way that uh, I think, and, and we, this one we can get into is is ancestral curses or, or generational curses. Um, yeah. Do you want to, do you want to talk about that? Have so you ever experienced that? I personally have not. Um, so I know that I feel, you? well, no, I, I think that, because I, this is like a newer, do you think, or maybe, maybe it's not newer. Well, no, I definitely think they're real. Okay. Um, I definitely think like curses through generations do happen. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, especially with practitioners too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's ideas of like lineage-based familiars. Like uh, I know that in our practices, like our uh, many of the times when you look in books on like self-initiation or um, autonomic magic or witchcraft or things like that, like when you're, when you're doing it yourself, sorry, um, solitary, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, we're usually conjuring our familiars and things like that. Well, in other witchcraft lineages, there's a familiar spirit that gets passed down. And oh. um, there's also packs that if you are not, um, you know, say somebody didn't fulfill that pact, say they died before they could fulfill that pact. And it could be major, you know, it could be just a one-time thing, go take this pilgrimage, um, go do this thing for me. Or or maybe it's a pact like, oh, every month I'm going to, uh, you know, give you this thing for ages and ages. We'll say you die. And then that next person down the line is not initiated or doesn't care enough to do it or breaks that promise and then you're born 
and and then all this you know shit happens to you you know that that's a that's a promise that hasn't been that's a promise that's been broken mm-hmm. and i can tell you spirits um uh definitely want to make sure that those promises are fulfilled right and i think too there's um other ancestral curses i think a lot of the times what i see now people say ancestral curses um they're talking about like generational behavior patterns that um may could very well be the manifestation from curses absolutely mm-hmm. um but i think a lot of the times people are kind of like taking it to a very like psychologized place of um uh you know lineage based trauma which i mm-hmm. also know is a thing too right um or lineage based poverty right um uh, depression genetics environment um nature versus nurture kind of stuff right and so i think that uh when we're talking about that ancestral cursing i'm very much so meaning in the realm of like no somebody has cursed you and your your children you know there's mm-hmm. a, a curse in the bible that um a, a psalm that explicitly lays out like you and your children and your children's children i'm cursing all of you Mm -hmm. it's a very intense uh thing to say but i think now a lot of people like kind of psychologize it what do you think well it's interesting because uh, that's that is only how i have ever considered ancestral curses i've only ever considered them being like someone at some point in time cursed a member of the family and and specifically in that curse was meant to pass down to like every male son or every child you have after that and it's meant to specifically condemn a family forever and you know it's interesting because the first time i ever heard of ancestral curses was from my aunt my father's uh, sister and she told me and i don't know if this is actually insensitive to talk about on a podcast. I'm not sure. I, I I don't, it's not like I know the family, but she claimed that the um, Kennedy family had an ancestral curse and every single Kennedy has had a horrible, usually pretty violent. Violent. Death. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she told, she, t- she told me that one of their ancestors sold their soul to the devil for power. It got power and, and instead got also an ancestral curse. Now this is my alcoholic functioning alcoholic aunt who loves to make up stories i love her to death um but i take everything she says with a grain of salt i believe her there we go okay i don't know her i believe her (laughs) i believe her i I think she knows something i don't think she's the only one probably to ever have suggested that um and i don't want someone who is just like a super kennedy lover or like i don't know maybe just member of the family being like what what did they say if we have um a distant relative of the Kennedys or the Onassis on listening to our podcast. Hi, hello, welcome. Um, And and can you get me the uh, keys to Grey Gardens? We we may have a few bits of advice for you on turning back curses coming up next. Yes. Um, Speaking of, now let's talk about curse detection. Yes, um, you you have more information on this than me, so I would love to hear. Yes, I don't. Um, so I am doing a class on this. Oh, uh, don't give it all away <laughs> in September. So yes, I won't be giving it all away. But I think um, there's obviously like I tell people 
usually, well, I don't tell people anymore, but I think when we were kind of coming up into witchcraft, it was less likely that people are cursing you, right? Yes. Well, now I think I my position's kind of changed. And maybe that's just because I'm involved in the witchcraft community. It, it depends on who you're surrounding yourself with. Right, right, exactly. But a lot of the times when I get clients and I get asked about curses a lot, um, because that's kind of what I do is is magical diagnostic, right? So are you cursed? Is the spirit pissed off at you? Uh, where do I, should I initiate? Should I not initiate? You know, things like that. A lot of the times, sometimes they're not, that does happen. Um, but But sometimes I'm like, do you know practitioners of magic? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, they're so already right off the bat before you even pull a card or lay a, a prayer or anything like that I've already I already know like okay you already know magical practitioners which means you have the capability of of irritating somebody and then some some somebody sending something your way mm-hmm. um where I feel like a couple of years ago that wouldn't have been the case Right. Oh, no, I completely agree, because usually I remember when I first started getting into the online like witchcraft community and, and first it started with Facebook groups, but the, the, the worst. worst. Oh, my God. Absolute worst. Truly the worst. Um, but one of the biggest things I saw constantly were comments and questions. I think I've been hexed. How can I tell? I think I've been cursed. What should I do? And almost every single one of them are the only magical practitioner that I know. And right. I was just kind of like, I promise you the fact that you ran out of gas on the highway had nothing to do with you being hexed. You just weren't paying attention to your gas gauge. Uh, like bad things happen. They yes. do. Yes. And, and, and bad things do just happen. Um, and, and so most of the time, it depends. It depends on who you are. I feel like yeah. uh, me operating in what I do and the people I know that mm-hmm. like, yes, okay, it's probably, it could be that you're cursed, but uh, maybe for the people in the Facebook groups, maybe you're not cursed. Maybe you just had a bad day. If you're in a Facebook group, you're not cursed. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in a Facebook group, I encourage that is you. the curse. <laughs> all right. I encourage you to get out. Um there are uh, there's course, a couple like, good, no there's a couple of good ones i mean there's a couple of great have, little communities out there that help people have you grow. i've never found a good one um and i've looked but you know i haven't looked in a long time so maybe you're more privy to it than i am i ignore a lot of them nowadays <laughs> <laughs> um i think uh some good ways obviously like the, the main way of like figuring out is divination right and this is going to be um binary divination even doing like tosses like just simply am i cursed Mm -hmm. um yes no sometimes though if your practitioner is skilled and experienced you won't know through divination if they've cursed you because they're smart and they've laid invisibility work on themselves and so sometimes your divination will come up negative um and if you sign up for my class, I'll tell you how to uh, blast through those. Um, not to plug myself, sorry. Um, uh, but yeah, there's um, there's different ways of like kind of like peering behind those veils of of invisibility because sometimes people will do that too. What else? Uh, divination, uh, binary divination, and then there's also like computational divination, asking spirits for dreams, right? Um, there's also you know, I, I saw one time uh, that if your house plants are dying, 
um, unexplainably, that means that you're cursed. Uh, I would take that with a grain of salt. However, if you do have um, certain house, or I'm sorry, sorry, certain plants that are outside of your door that are very much very much so meant to like take a hit for you and um either they tell you things through dream or mm -hmm. um or they're you know dying unexplainably um they've been diseased or something like that you know maybe maybe pull some cards on it and also too uh not being afraid to ask for professional help as in like talking to professional diviners who have experience in that um area of like assessing have I been cursed? Uh, you know, how do I get a curse off of me? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Do you have any uh, methods for for uh, divination? I like Marshall? the I like the binary divination. Um, and and if 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 that's something that sounds new to you, it just means looking for a yes or no answer. Um, that's very easy to do. You can do it with a simple deck of playing cards: red for yes, black for no. Mm -hmm. shuffle and draw you can get a drawstring bag of six white marbles and six black marbles shuffle them up and pick one and see what you get um coin tosses. yeah coin tosses there's so many wonderful ways the the one thing i'd make sure of if, if you're doing a binary divination method that you didn't just make it up just for this you should probably have something set up like maybe a piece uh, a some blessed cards. Maybe you have already put together a binary divination marble bag. Um, maybe you have a special coin that you either have made or has been blessed. Um, don't just be grab, I mean, I guess you can just grab a deck of cards, but I like to have something that I have already assigned a, an assignment for you are to be the cards that help me divine what I need to know. Um, that's just my personal preference. There is also this idea too, uh, it's often believed in in many spaces that it, it's not you figuring out the right answer it's not your cards or maybe it's also your cards or you know whatever but there's also usually a spirit involved that is telling you mm -hmm. um so you're not just flipping a coin flippantly to hope for an answer right. um you know because that's um just a 50 50 outcome right yeah uh instead you have you know spirits that you uh invoke to to help point you in that right direction to manipulate there's that word again mm -hmm. um the divination to to say exactly what it need what it needs to be said so it, it's not just oh i flipped a coin and it said no so i guess i'm good um you know th there's also uh, spirits absolutely who are who are helping out uh with that and uh yeah we'll talk about that and in um execrations if you have now detected that you have a hex jinx or curse upon i mean honestly if you have a jinx upon you it's gonna it's gonna probably just burn out on its own if we're going by the initial <laughs> by the initial concepts because what's interesting is i've totally forgot to bring this up when i brought up the the breakdown of definitions of the modern day idea of jinxes hexes and curses is just because you may not believe that they need to be broken down does not mean the practitioner who cast it upon you doesn't so if they have specifically broken down the type of spell work they had created it doesn't matter if you don't believe they delineate because the one that's been cast on you doesn't care what you believe i'd have to recognize that okay i don't need to like throw the whole kitchen sink at it it's just a simple something i can do this yes and also too um because there's uh sometimes an idea that i see floating around mm -hmm. um 
like, oh, because I don't believe in a curse gives oh. it no power. <laughs> oh. Um, and, and we didn't bring that up either, which um, we probably should have. You cannot believe in anything. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it's it's not real. So put the DVD of Skeleton Key away. I promise you. Uh, uh, Golden not Hunt- Skeleton <laughs> Key. <laughs> put it away. You don't have to believe in it for it to work. Yes, if that were the case, then that would just render us all uh, powerless. Use- useless. Useless, yeah. And I do think, too, there, there is a um, self-belief, self-power, mm-hmm. um, uh, confidence, maybe, that's sure. perhaps the word. Um, that can be really, really beneficial in, in things like that. But um, yes, j- just because... Um, you got hit with a bolt of lightning doesn't, and you don't believe in lightning. That doesn't mean that you didn't get third degree burns all over your body. Because or die. Or die. <laughs> or yeah, die. Right. Um, I don't believe in death, so it's not real. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about some curse removals. Yes. Uh, you have some uh, historical ones. Yes. And, and oh, some cultural ones. Yes, me, me too. And I think um, folklore too will absolutely... Uh, point us in some right direction, so I'll bring one up too. But you, you go ahead because uh, the heart and pins is one of my favorites. Oh, it's one of my absolute favorites, and it's so versatile because it can be used as a removal or a curse itself. Yeah. Um. So one of the things that, and and we're not here to teach curses, but if you're cunning, you'll pay attention here. Um. So one of the older, uh, uh, uh like, you know cunning folk methods of removing a curse or hex from you would be to take a a bull heart um, or say if you felt like you your cattle or your livestock were dying in the olden days and yesteryear if you have a farm right now you would take the heart of one of the deceased animals or you could go to your local butcher shop you can purchase heart um, and process it yourself if you prefer Uh, there is a vegan option if you prefer as well with a potato or maybe a beet uh, if you prefer to stay away from any livestock body parts um, where you would then literally just cover it in pins, needles, and nails. Uh, and then you would hang it up in your chimney fireplace and let it shrivel up. And as it did, so would either, I mean, there's been a lot of conjecture whether it would shrivel up the actual caster or whether it would just cause the curse itself to die off, ridding yourself of the maleficium that's been sent your way. Um, I even put a post about it a while back and I gave some instructions that if you were to, if you don't have a chimney, mind you, a lot of people don't have chimneys nowadays. I don't have a chimney. Um, the point of it is that you would hang it somewhere that you wouldn't really run into it again. It's just kind of out of the way. And a lot of times chin- chimneys were thought of as, as places of spirit entry. So um, you'll see a lot of chimney oriented or hearth oriented things in, in spells from yesteryear. Yeah, um, I like the... I like the idea of the cattle heart mm-hmm. um, or, you know, heart of whatever has been cursed. I would actually even uh, disagree with you on on the the uh, the vegan option only personally because I think the the point of the curse is the magic obviously has a link to the witch, right? And say you had a cursed cattle, mm-hmm. but not many people do. Some people do. 
right? Not mm -hmm. all of us are farmers, though. Um, but the idea is that, that that heart is still linked to the witch. So by, by you know, sticking it with pins and hanging it away, mm -hmm. um, you were still, you were linked back to that witch. So the idea of, I guess if the witch had uh, blighted your potatoes, though, that might work. <laughs> um, well, I think that it can be. I see what you're saying, and, and I actually agree with that with that statement for that specific purpose. But I do think, in general, um, especially if you were not using this necessarily to reverse a curse, but to cause one in the but first to place. Yes, but to cause one, I would I would say mm -hmm. that um, uh, taking up a root vegetable is a very good. Um, I love a a little bit of root vegetable magic. Oh yeah. Um, a little bit of another, hair or like a name paper or a picture like cut up and sewn inside or something. I agree. Um, I love a potato doll. I love uh, a potato doll. Uh, another one is uh, a favorite of, I think, hopefully everybody's, uh, the witch bottle, which um, maybe some people don't know comes from Joseph Glanville's Sedissimus Triumphatus. Um, which is a very old text, early modern text. Um, uh, Joseph Glanville, I believe, reported on more so cunning practices, very similar to um, Scott's discovery. Um, I think the the translation of Sedismus Triumphatus is like a triumph of of uh, Christ or something like that. I forget. Um, and. Uh, basically, what he does is he reports on this uh, this woman who's laid up in bed. Her husband's very concerned, so he goes to see a local wizard, and he's like, you know, she's she's laid up in bed. Uh, she can't sleep because she's having uh, issues with with peeing. Um, essentially, it hurts for her to urinate. And so the wizard tells her to uh, tells her that she's been witched. And so what he he does is he, he the the wizard tells her or tells um, this woman's husband to take a bottle, um, uh, and fill it with his wife's urine, um, stop it up with pins and and things like that, cork it, and set it next to the fireplace. And uh, when it bursts, um, she'll be cured. So uh, he does this and, and the bottle bursts and, uh, but she's still not um, fixed, I believe, or something's fixed, but uh, the witch wasn't killed. I don't remember. Um, sorry, it's been a while since I read Sedismus Triumphatus. <laughs> but then uh, the, the cunning wizard tells him to basically do the spell again, fill it up with urine, sop it up with pins, sharp objects, um, put it next to the fireplace and, and let it boil and bubble um, and then it will burst and um, it, when he did this in the next town over apparently uh, uh, a witch died and uh, but then he got in trouble because um, he had killed somebody using witchcraft against that person so essentially what he was doing was making a return to sender spell so when we think of which bottles now I think we're not usually using them as like like the witch bottle in that book Sedismus Triumphatus is is representative of, of a bladder right and it, it's this idea of like again this woman's urine is linked to the witch who's already cast a spell on her so by boiling it you're torturing the witch until she stops mm -hmm. and and I've, I've actually seen this exact same spell because it's a it's a 
It was a well-known cunning folk remedy or, or anti-witchcraft spell uh, are working. And, and it's been documented in a couple different instances. Some, the one you just mentioned, another one was that it will force the witch who cast it to come to your door and get her to stop uh-huh. because she won't be able to, she'll have to literally hold her bladder. Like she wouldn't be able to pee until, um, until she came and removed the curse from you. Uh, so I've seen it kind of done multiple ways. Um, and we're going to get into the preventative or protective witch bottle at the end. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, um, uh, so, so yes, there you have it. The uh, Joseph Glanville's uh, witch bottle, but also Joseph Glanville probably, it's not like he came up with that idea. The, the practice had already been, been going around. He just recorded. Oh yeah. Um, that but like Marshall said it's it's a well-documented thing and it was going on for a long time and many of the people who document it weren't the ones doing it either they were the ones being told about it from the people later on right. so we, we don't have a huge amount of documentation from the people firsthand we have secondhand documentation and even sometimes thirdhand because they were the children of the people who did that so it's it's very fascinating the way in which we understand it now because we only know what either was documented or what second and third hand uh witnesses saw or remembered and it's fun because it's something it's such a common practice the preventative practice and how Mm -hmm. we we more so do it now um as a, a method of prevention. I mean, you find them, it, it's this, uh, going back to the idea of like spells develop and change over time, myth changes and develops over time, just because um, I, I say how we do it now, how we do mm-hmm. it today, that doesn't mean that it's new. I mean, people have been using it the way that we kind of do it now for a long time. In fact, you'll all over America and um, the old country, you'll find uh people find it in their houses all the time they find it buried in their yards they'll find do you remember that one episode of that guy who actually drank some because he thought it was a bottle of wine yes he He thought thought it was was, a witch bottle he found out it was a witch bottle Uh, also i want to know whatever i don't know why you would think to put your lips up to something before assessing what it was Mm -hmm. um but it was in a red bottle Mm -hmm. or i'm sorry no it, it was a regular bottle but you know, if you've ever looked at your old urine, it's uh, disgusting. Um, and I have had experience with that. Um, it stinks more than you could imagine. Oh my God. Um, it's so interesting. You'll actually find like urate crystals, like urea crystals around it. It makes these like long shards of like, glass of like ammonia based urine crystal Ooh, urine crystals. How pretty. They are kind of pretty, but they also look very threatening. Yeah, um, I like that actually. And uh yeah, it's just it's it's disgusting. It smells bad. But yes, there was a man who who did it on I think on on t- TV. It was um, like one of those antique roadshow sort of things, but I think it was over in Great Britain. Yeah, yeah. Was it Britain? Was it not? Oh I I don't know. It could have been New England. It was, it was about a year ago. The, you'll find the practice uh, on in America and mm-hmm. and over there too so yeah there's other um methods uh abul- ablutions we like ritual baths um uh where you dump herbs or uh waters on you mm-hmm. um as well marshall do you have any experience with that so like uh, uh, i have a few herbs that i i 
just are pretty well known at historically having connotations of being uh, hex or spell breaking hyssop rue nettles nettles is a really fascinating one because it, you can curse with nettles and you can break curses with nettles one thing to know about the actual plant itself um the stalk has tiny little hair like fibers that actually emit a stinging sensation and it can cause like a, a a, a rash and, and honestly a very uncomfortable rash that that inflames on your skin when it touches and you know what actually helps get rid of it the leaves it's literally one of those that, that the blessing and bang grows on the same stalk because the same plant that will give you the pain the itchiness the rash is also the one that will cure you so um i love that 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 virtue of nettles because you can you can do so much with it I didn't know that um, putting the le- like like chewing the leaves and making a poultice out of it and spreading yeah. it on there that would help, huh? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I um, they don't grow around me now. Like I've been when- trying to grow them inside because too it's too hot outside. Yeah, I don't have uh, nettles where I live anymore. But when I lived in Missouri, they mm-hmm. grew all over. They're just weeds, but you can they're rusty red because of how much iron is in them which is another interesting virtue about them, I think, is that they're quite martial. Um, But that's also why people will blanch them um, to remove the sting out of it. It softens the the ultricating hairs that are on the the stalk. And then it will um, kill some of the it is like slightly venomous too, like in the way that it has like that stinging, but also that lingering sting from Mm -hmm. from like a phyto dermatitis kind of thing um the leaves can be used wonderfully for teas i know a lot of teas it's great for anti it's great for inflammation it's Mm -hmm. anti-inflammatory um i think there are some other health benefits as well you can literally get nettle tea at the grocery store if you want if you put uh the leaves in in water i mean it'll turn your your water like a rusty brown color because Mm -hmm. it's so high in iron i mean they're they're really uh wonderful i wish i still had them grow up here i have a different kind of um nettle like thing but it's not part of the the nettle family um but it does sting um if i were to remove a type of like jinx or hex that i thought was on me one of the great and simplest things that one could do is get some nettle tea overbrew it i'm talking about bitter i'm talking about 20 30 minutes of boiling it down and then you're probably going to want to drink it several days in a row, probably over like a, a waning moon. So it's kind of coming off of you. Um, that's just my interpretation of it. But uh, that would be a very simple way to help remove something that may have been cast your way. Um, and also talk to your doctor before ingesting anything as yes. you're not uh, um, herbalists or, yes. or, or doctors. Um uh, one of my favorite stories actually about Nettle is the tale of the nine swans or the 12 swans. Or, yes, I love um, it. I rewatched you know, it again recently. I, I, I love that movie so much. We had uh, in my family, there's uh, a cousin, he was adopted from Russia. And so one of the movies that they had bought him when he was very young was a bunch of these, you know, Russian fairy tales. Um, there's this one uh, we're talking about the same one, Marshall. You and I. There's the wild this one, swans, I think it was called. Yeah, and, and it, it's but it's it's stories from my childhood, and it was this DVD, and it had like several different short films on it. They were all animated. One being like the Ice Queen, mm-hmm. um, and then I think uh, they also had 
the first one was the tale of the, the the wild swans where the nine swans or the 12 swans however many swans it is depending on the, the tale and it was about um firstly kathy moriarty's the crow and that was can we talk about it oh How it's iconic. so it's so iconic um uh, that did not show up in the original folktale, by the way. But mm -hmm. the idea is that, uh, you know, there's, of course, a princess. She has nine brothers or 12 brothers. And um, her father comes home. He's married an evil queen who's also a witch. Um, and she, of course, as one does, uh, gets very irritated with these children. And she casts a spell on the um, the brothers she tries to curse the the girl too but it doesn't work because she's so virtuous um and uh they turn into swans by day and um they get lost and then the 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 little girl the sister she tries to find them and then this wise old crow again played by kathy moriarty which i think is just iconic and amazing um tells her how to break the curse and that is by going to a, a graveyard and cutting down uh, these nettles with her bare hands. And she has to stay in silence for a year. So this idea of like um, silencing the self and, and taking a year of like contemplation. And she has to do this for an entire year. She has to go to the cemetery and remove the nettles with her bare hands, strip them, process them into yarn. And then she has to make tunics out of this nettle fiber for her her brothers um, uh, to turn them back into humans again and she just places them and and she can't tell her brothers what the spell is um, because if she tells them it'll break it'll break the the healing properties of the curse um, it's truly a wonderful little uh, short film. It's on YouTube. You can watch it for free. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in like four or five short parts. It's called uh, Stories from My Childhood. And it's basically all these like Hans Christian Andersen uh, fairy tales that have been reworked into animation. I think it's from like the 1980s or something. But It was a while ago. Yeah. It's really wonderful. It's one of my um, my favorite. And also like to take that idea from a spell mm -hmm. and to like either take nettle uh, yarn and either make a tunic out of it if you have knitting skills, which I do not. Um, and I would do it for a severe curse. I don't think that you would have to uh, do this for every every little thing, uh, but like making a tunic out of it and wearing it and then, you know, slicing it up and burning it and, you know, sending that away. And and I actually, I do want to mention something because we're about to get into hex prevention and and things that we can do to help with those sort of things, but I did want to mention one last thing on the curse removal section of this episode's outline. <laughs> um, but egg cleansing, um, uh, I was reading about in American Brujeria, J. Allen Cross's book, a beautiful book, lots of wonderful um, practices and, and things that are more specific to American style Brujeria. And, and he talks about egg cleansing in there. And I think it's really important that if you're... There's been a lot of discussion about egg cleansing itself being very specific to one one or specific cultures. And I think it's important to recognize that eggs, while existing across the world, there are certain practices that, of course, are specific to different cultures. And the egg cleansing that is done in Jalen Cross's book is one that he has been kind enough to share with us. If you're going to do it, I think you should do, I think you should go all in and do the research. I think you should 
support this author by reach by reading their book and and making sure that you're getting all the information as they have delivered it and not do some random bastardized version you saw on TikTok. Um, I just want to make sure I'm saying that so people understand when when Jay decided to share this information in his book, I think it was a beautiful and wonderful thing because it allowed everyone who was willing to put in the time and respect to purchase, read, buy, and read it um, to have that that um, vault of knowledge. So if you're going to do it, you have to make sure that you are putting in the the work, if that makes sense, and the respect it takes to learn the correct way to do things. Yeah, and also like, um, you know, if you're in a place where it, uh, you may have a uh, botanica or mm -hmm. a local botanica, going and supporting curanderos who work there or, um, you know, people who are uh, lachiceras or uh, lachiceros, you know, people who have the uh, knowledge to also do certain things like um, cleansings and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, um, you know, it can also support your local botanica um, as well. And also on that note too, I think going and um, a, a final note on, on cleansing practices or curse removal practices, making sure that you know that it's also okay to go see professionals about things if it's yeah. actually... I'll even do you one better. Not that it's okay. It's actually quite necessary. I know sometimes that if I've done something and um, when when you're in the midst of that, right, uh, sometimes your, your eyes get clouded by, you know, that could even be part of the curse is to disorient you. So you can't really quite figure out what's going on. It can disorient your spirits. Sometimes having the opinion of another professional um, and, even especially, I actually think this is really great, sometimes having um, the perspective of somebody who is outside of your tradition mm -hmm. um, can be really beneficial because A, it connects cultures and it can be um, really beautiful and you can learn something in the process and something like that, but also because sometimes people who are outside of your tradition mm -hmm. um, uh, a, it supports their work. Uh, B, like I said, it, it uh, closes those cultural gaps. And and C, too, like sometimes they know things that you you don't, or they have a system of divination that you don't. I'm thinking particularly of a friend of mine who's in Lukumi, mm -hmm. um, and and we um, bounce ideas off of each other. They also um, practice witchcraft as well, but they're they're also um, a uh, priest in Lukumi. And, and so, you know, we kind of like share and, um, you know, contrast our work too. And I think his perspectives um, really help me. And I know that my perspectives also help him. And so I've done divinations for him and, and so on and so forth. So it, it can be really cool to like get a, a fresh eye from somebody who isn't in your tradition and also who isn't you. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to be reaching out to someone who is outside of your tradition, especially if they're in tradition that is it is more closed, you are not entitled to it. Um, you're not entitled to their information. In fact, most of the time, if they aren't your immediate friend, you should be paying for their time. Um, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, offer yeah. to pay your friends, too. I, yeah. I, yeah. It's um, services, you know, service magicians, man. We don't get paid in eggs anymore. Mm -mm. More chickens. Or chickens. <laughs> I, I would take a chicken, though. I would love 
I just actually, I'd love a toad. I would, if I would do a spell for someone, if they would bring me a toad. You know what though? A trading services, it happens more than you think. So it if does. you have something to, to provide sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so hex prevention. Yes. Let's get into it. Can, um, can I do the, the, this witch bottle? Cause this is one of my favorite yes, ones. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited. So we talked about the, um, curse removal witch bottle there is another type of witch bottle and of course history does not differentiate the two until you actually read how they're made and why um and we know this because of the one we talked about well because of the many we found uh buried either in yards or at, literally up in chimney flues um it was a witch bottle that was meant as preventative magic to turn back Maleficium sent your way. And the idea, it literally would be very similar to the first one. Um, It would be a bottle and you would put your urine in it, pins, needles, maybe some nail clippings, some hair, maybe even some broken glass. Um, And all of the, and then it would either be put up your chimney or buried in your yard somewhere on your land. And the whole point of it would be that it acts as a decoy. If someone is going to send negative or baneful work your way, instead of going towards you, the first thing it's going to go to is your decoy, which is that witch bottle. It has your urine, it has your hair, it has your nails, and then it gets trapped. It gets trapped and pinned in place and it gets stuck there. And now knowing that a year and a half to so many years later, you can actually dig it up and see the uh, urea crystals it's grown in that are like sharp and and like angular. Oh my gosh, I love that idea even more. I definitely um, don't feel like I'll be bar- uh, uh, unburying mine from where it's at. But I'll tell you right now, as a practicing witch, I have had a witch bottle for a while and it is one of my first lines of defense for my home. Yeah, they kind of look like that. <gasps> violent i love it i know they they do they kind of look like swords mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i uh i love uh witch bottles um do you think that they have to be replaced so okay so i actually did read something about this recently and it was when you say replaced do you mean like every year or yeah like, like you should move? you make another one I'm not of of the mindset that they need to be. Um, I've made mine. I've buried it. It's good. I make another one when I move. That's right. my personal opinion. No, I I agree. In my, I'm trying not to, um, but, but people know that I have one. I've made it on live, um, so it's fine. Um, people know I have one. Uh, yeah, I've never had to dig mine up and make a new one mm-hmm. i would make to, a new you're supposed to forget about it truly right yeah it's kind of something that you wouldn't want to you'd want to put it away from you mm-hmm. and and kind of you wouldn't go back to it i definitely wouldn't drink it <gasps> sorry um, <laughs> visceral reaction well i'm also thinking like i know mine has like razor blades and glass and shit in it oh, you yeah. know like i wouldn't want to um drink that if mm-hmm. any pieces like came off um uh and would i make a new one if i moved yes yes if i if i went to a different property mm -hmm. um but in my experience now if you are maybe maybe if you're a um you know somebody who doesn't know a lot of practitioners or Mm -hmm. or maybe like you don't have an an operative practice and I mean that by like people pay you for services or products or things like that Mm -hmm. um maybe you can get away with just having a witch bottle and calling it goods uh but I do recommend having lines of defense 
um, oh, and, and absolutely. Not, not just relying on on one operative charm. And also another thing that I noticed, and when it, when it happens, I almost made a post about it, but I, I didn't. Um, don't usually, I don't think that it's done maliciously, but sometimes mm-hmm. every once in a while I see people who do these like challenges where they're like, what are your protections? Um, what are your home charms? You know, things like that. And people will post about them. It's, you shouldn't post about your your home words because then um, people will know that's like what giving out that's like putting your social security number on the internet like right. like hey this is my social security number my address and my uh my door codes right here's my id and my credit card while i'm at it um uh <laughs> it's a fun challenge i would recommend not giving I, those things away i'd even recommend not giving away your birthday like the amount of okay so i love i love people and I don't know if the people who are the ones talking about and celebrating the birthday in online scenarios, I'm not a paranoid person, but I don't share my birthday at all. I don't want anyone to know the date of my birth. And as a practitioner, I think that's something you should guard because your name is probably already out there, but your birthday, that's something that, that's like the second thing your, your, your uh, social media things ask you. And every single person wants to celebrate their birthday. But maybe if you're going to tweet about it, don't tweet about it on the actual day. Yeah, I think. Um, Just my personal opinion. No, no, I agree. So I think, too, especially, and maybe this applies for, again, people who are very present mm-hmm. um, in the witchcraft community, people who, um, you know, are very involved or may have an open practice. Mm -hmm. And by practice, I mean, like, again, service magicians or you sell products. Um, I would be very cautious about sharing those things. Now, I know some people are like, uh, I've heard the discussion of like, oh, you know, whatever, people can have my birthday. Most people aren't going through the rigmarole of doing astrological magic on, on that level. Mm -hmm. Well, I know people Mm -hmm. who do study that level of astrological magic and can and do and, you know, do things like that and have full capability if they wanted to. So it would be very, I I would say, just because you don't think that somebody can do it. Remember, many of us do not share Mm -hmm. much about our practice. I don't share much about my practice uh, anymore. I'll tell you, I had I had it very easy looking at multiple people's birthdays the last time I decided to do a baneful casting, and I actually don't think it has a lot to do with a lot of astrology. You just need their name, and you just need their birth date, right? And that too, you know. And also, when you're making like um, effigies, uh, wax dolls, poppets, um, baptizing candles, anything like that, you know, even mm-hmm. baptizing pictures. Um, the discussion of, of of like I name the O creature of wax in give somebody's full name, their eye color, their hair color, their description, their father and mother's name, their grandmother and you know, grandparents' name, and of this place, you know, wherever you live, of this city, of this town, of this street. So the more information that somebody has about you, the more 
they can use it against you. There's even ideas of like people not posting pictures. A lot of the times people don't post pictures of the of themselves um, on on you know social media because of that. Uh, I actually reason. I almost went a year without having my face and and any of my like TikTok stuff. Uh-huh. And finally, when it was, people were shocked because they didn't expect to see a face just randomly pop up. And it was always the very end of it. So it would be like, you can't even screen grab it because it was so fast. It only was when I moved over to Instagram that I started having a little bit more of me in there. I think my first um, photo on Instagram was a picture of myself. So, well, that's on you. I'm quite vain, (laughs) but I also, but I'm also (laughs) on um, Instagram. No, no, me too, actually. I, I dare somebody, I dare somebody to try. um, And yeah, I dare you. Go ahead. I'm going to (laughs) pass. Go ahead. Uh, Did we have another? Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have another curse prevention? There was a couple different things I wanted to do throughout there. And I'm not saying, again, these are not things that I am saying or giving away that are my own personal words or protections. I'm just giving you ideas as listeners. Um, Charmed silver, weaving jewelry. Um, I know I have uh, put together a thing for my friends that involves uh, weaving some uh, red thread under the moonlight on a full moon at midnight while chanting a very specific protective charm and then putting a uh, mercury dime or a, a silver Uh, mercury dime on there and it specifically is meant to be a protective charm and I think that's some it's a simple something that you can do it's timed at the right spot you're chanting the right chant that you have created to put that intention into the weaving of the braid you tie it up on your ankle you never take it off that is a personal bodily protection you can do this with um a lot of different jewelry, honestly, if you want to take an astrological time of, of great protective significance, uh, you can carry a piece of jewelry that you have then uh, uh, charmed during that time period to protect you, and then you never take it off. Uh, there are things that you can put sigils on your home to make sure that curses and hexes thrown your way get, they get pushed away. I know that the old concept of putting a horseshoe by your front door uh, has a lot of different connotations, but one of them was that it kept witchcraft out. Literally, it just horseshoed right back out there. Um, and I, I mean, I am giving this away because I have a horseshoe at every single entrance and window of my home. Um, and you can find them really, really cheap at old, uh, like, I found them at like a, a vintage shop. There was literally a yeah. whole bunch of, it was like six bucks for a handful of rusty old horseshoes. Uh-huh. And I think that has, you know, a little bit to do with, um, you know, certain animals being associated with witchcraft, mm-hmm. uh, horse magic. Um, that I think Troy Books actually has a whole book on horse magic, don't they? On the horseshoe itself. Oh, uh, yes. Um, uh, so, yeah. And, and then there's other like uh, taboos around it, you know, like you have to get it from a blacksmith or something, but uh, it's such a ubiquitous thing that there is mm-hmm. no hard and fast rules to it. People argue, you know, whether it's facing up or whether it's facing down. Uh, horseshoe magic in itself mm-hmm. is very fascinating. Um, I also have some interesting and older uh, or not older uh weird ones Go like for um, it. cutting off a, a wolf's head and nailing it to your front door oh that would protect you for sure from just about anyone that came to it 
Yes, I think too, it's, <laughs> it's again, going back to this idea of like certain animals being associated with witchcraft. The wolf is, is this choleric martial animal that like, um, definitely is associated with witches and, and irritation and things like that. So by cutting off its head, it's like, kind of like, no witch, like if you're a witch, know what happens to you here, um, kind of thing. And, uh, um, I think that's, that's the only, the weirdest one that I have. Um, there's also, you, you know, you had the oh, sea onion. What's the sea onion? Oh, the sea onion. That's right. Um, uh, in certain things, I think from, uh, the book of St. Cyprian by, um, oh, I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. Um, Humberto Ma- Maggi. Um, Maggie, not uh, saying Cyprian himself. Well, the, the books are attributed to him. He didn't read um, it. I think he. Well, <laughs> well he might have. Well, well um, you know, there's several. Um, <laughs> it, it's it, kind of like the Kia Solomon thing. Oh yeah, know? I know, I know, I know. Um, I'm just giving you a hard time. No, I know. Um, <laughs> but for others out there, yeah. maybe, maybe he did. Uh, St. Cyprian of Antioch, there, there's a lot of things surrounding uh, sea onions, which before I had read that, I didn't even know what a sea onion was. I didn't know onions could grow by the sea. Um, but they can. Okay. And and um, there's this idea of, you know, this, this anti-witching kind of stuff. Um, for some reason, they're often associated with, like, being able to repel witchcraft and maybe that's just because onions and onions and garlic kind of repel mm-hmm. uh, evil spirits but i don't know why specifically a sea onion is mentioned so much but there is I, this idea of like hanging a sea onion um in your you know either in the attic mm-hmm. but it's hanging so it's kind of like floating in this this weird like this idea of like this in-between space it's not sitting it's not you know, nailed to the roof, it's hanging, um, hanging down. And uh, there's some other stuff where uh, you take like a sea onion and um, you kind of like give yourself similar to like an egg cleansing, like you you rub your body with it and then um, you put like ant eggs inside of it or, um, you know, stick it with pins or wash yourself in cassava water, et cetera, et cetera. Interesting. I, I think like, when I like the garland of, of, of garlic just in general like I love that idea I do too and I think also because it looks you know it doesn't look particularly so many people have like garlands of, of garlic in their home I had one growing up in my kitchen yeah uh and people use them as decoration but yeah. also um you know it keeps the vampires away one of the great things you could do too especially if you're trying to protect your home and everyone that is dwelling within it from um, from malefic witchcraft or or malefic spirits is you could buy a simple decorative garland of garlic and then on the opposite side that's going to face the wall you could you could sew in um some fabric that you have maybe written a specific anti-witchcraft spell on or or something that all spells sent my way in negative uh, uh, with negative intentions are reversed back directly from whence they came. You could literally write that in paper or cloth and sew it in or um, or some way attach it, even if you just write it in paper and like tuck it in between the folds of some of them. I would do that a couple of times if it's just on one piece of paper, but um, you can you can fashion something that nobody would know. Yeah, I think um, like Seder squares too, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Seder Europa Tana uh, Operis, um, which is uh, a really, really old 
charm, uh, it's potentially Jewish in origin. Um, Didn't uh, it come from one of the, the, the seals of Key of Solomon? It's been around uh, before that. The really? oldest thing, yeah, the oldest one that we have uh, living is, is I believe, on like a Roman column. Nice. Um, uh, but we also know that um, Jewish people were in Rome at that time, and yeah. it doesn't make any, um, it doesn't have like a, like a Roman uh, thing, even though people have tried to attribute it to Roman stuff. We, we believe it's, it's more Jewish in origin. Um, there is a guy, his name's uh, something Fishwick. He's done a lot of research on the subject. It's very fascinating. If you have a JSTOR account, I highly recommend looking at it. Um, but uh, it's kind of like nonsensical, essentially. We, I'm pretty sure. Um, but this idea of like a five by five palindrome mm -hmm. um, that also when you affix it in a certain way can spell out the paternoster or like, you know, the thing that you would say like our father um, see. in Latin. Um, if you arrange the words, it will make a cross in the shape of a paternoster and then have alpha and omega at the end of it um, or an A and an O. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're used for everything in magic uh it's such it's one of those things it's kind of like the horseshoe it's it's so common that there's everything kind of is attributed to it um throwing it in a, a house that's burning will mm -hmm. you know stop a fire according to the long lost friend um perfect wearing wearing <laughs> why call the it. fire department <laughs> right don't do that just throw throw a seder square in there um you know, obviously there's like stuff again, anti-witchcraft, anti-poisoning. Um, there's even in the St. Louis Medical Journal uh, from like 18 something, there's an interesting um, uh, piece in there where it was believed that uh, it would summon the devil if oh. you, um, but in a way to keep him away from you, right? So if you would say the the paternoster, the devil would get trapped in the mm -hmm. words. It's very interesting. Well, it's um, kind of like serving someone papers. You have to find them to serve them first. That is brilliant. I have never thought of it that I way. I just that came was, up with that. <laughs> that's brilliant. No, I actually really like that. Um, and uh, did you have any more, Marshall? No, I mean that 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 really covers it. I think my final piece of advice, if you um, if you don't want witchcraft thrown your way, the best advice is if you preventative is if you don't want none, don't ask for any. Um, so you know, mm -hmm. uh, st steer clear of arguments from from your witchy friends, or try and defuse the situation as much as possible. Or if a fight started. Make sure you finish it, as, yeah. as my dear old dad always taught me. That pussy um, putting around here. Yeah, <laughs> that <laughs> that's such a um, like a, a dad southern thing to say. Oh, wow. it is such. A, I mean, I, I've I've heard it my entire life. Yes, pussy. Um, um, that's actually 
That's my drag name. Is it really? I love no. it. No, but it, <laughs> it is be. now. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways. You've been listening to me, Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. You can find me on TikTok at Witch of Southern Light, as well as Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at MarshallWSL. You can also find my art and my shop on uh, Redbubble under Marshall WSL. And I even have my own personal Patreon. If you'd like to ask personal questions, we have a great Discord. And at the top tier, I can make you your own personal sigils for your personal desires. Your own personal desires. I know, I've always done that, but no one ever, I mean, people will be all the way in the top tier and they never ask me for many. So I'm just kind of like, you know, you get this with the service. And I'm Austin Bain X Bramble on Instagram. Um, you can find everything else that I do on either my Instagram or at BainXBramble.com. As everybody hopefully knows, I'm a perfumer. Uh, I do divination uh, for people um, and other services like that. Um, and I also have a class coming up in September. The date is not to be announced, but by the time, if you're listening to this right when it comes out, I will make an announcement about it um, later this week, I think on Friday. Uh, but the uh, class will be over um, identifying curses, um, as well as uh, methods of getting rid of them. Um, so yeah, I hope everybody has a wonderful week. Thanks, Kisten. Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast, and at this time, I would like to thank our top-tier supporters. Jennifer W., Cindy Wiggins, Giles, Jennifer, Robin, V., Keith, Josie the Mountain Troll, Jens, Adity, Pamela, Nicolette, The Lady Ghost, Seashaw, and Anastasia Beaverhausen. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. We couldn't do this without you.